Hello, everyone. I'm Brendan Marcello. This is the Auburn Roundtable. Back at you for the second time in one month. It's a record. Uh, <laughs> we haven't been doing these often. I'm joined by uh, Auburn Undercover uh, publisher Ronnie Sanders, uh, columnist and uh, Auburn extraordinaire as far as anything you want to know, Philip Marshall, and recruiting expert and analyst uh, Keith Niebuhr. Guys, it is game week for Auburn and game week for most universities. Uh, football is finally almost back, but of course we can still talk a little bit more during talking season. Um, heading into this week, and we we might talk a little bit later about the Ohio State situation, but heading into this week, has this been uh, one of the stranger off-seasons you guys have seen? Uh, you talking about for Auburn? For 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 college football. Well, I thought it was pretty calm up until August, and then uh, <laughs> uh, everything kind of went crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean it, it's uh, <laughs> it's been strange for sure, and uh, we'll see where it all ends. We still don't know where it's all going to end yet. Kind of been one thing after another. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this how it all plays out with Urban Meyer and and Tom Herman and and. Uh, I mean, it's it's been it's been a show to watch. The Texas A&M thing, the Texas A&M thing, kind of interesting too. The guy guy accuses Texas A&M of all this stuff because he wants to play immediately, and then he's transferred to Arizona to play for his own coach, and then uh, gets kicked off the team for a, a video using racial slurs. So <laughs> I guess he kind of lost the upper hand in that deal. No doubt. I'm of the opinion that all this stuff probably will help college football in the long run in the sense that these guys know that everybody's watching them now, and the, and the boys will be boys stuff has got to stop. And I'm not, you know, some uh, sanctimonious guy or anything like that. As you guys know, I just think that, you know, it's, it's time that some of these people start acting and behaving a little bit better and knowing that if, if something's going to happen, they're going to get called to the carpet. And uh, I think for a long time that just hasn't been the case. And, you know, I, for years, it seems like some of these programs have been doing things that, you know, other parts of the university, if you're an employee in the history department, you couldn't get away with. Or if you ran a business, you couldn't get away with. So I don't know. I, I don't necessarily I think in the short term, it looks terrible. In the long term, it may be one of the things that college football needs to sort of get uh, get on the good path. That's just my opinion. Well, well you know, I think I think sometimes people forget that most of these coaches, not all, but most are former players and. We all know that you know a lot of times players get away with things uh, that other people don't get don't get away with. Uh, well, they become coaches, and a lot of times they continue to get away with things. Um, and sooner or later, it comes back to bite you. Well, you know, and plus when you talk about players, I mean these guys they in the first place, you know, we, we refer to them as kids, but the fact of the matter is they're adults for the most part. And uh, if you're twenty twenty one years old, you ought to have enough sense to know. If you're putting putting compromising videos on Instagram or on Twitter or wherever, there's a really good chance it's gonna get somebody's gonna gonna see it and uh, and then it's gonna blow up. And uh, you know, I just uh, it's amazing to me the number of people that get themselves in trouble by what they put on online because it's just so easy to avoid that. Just don't well, do it. And that's been a hot topic ever since Twitter started catching fire, you know, eight years ago or so about how 
this is all going to cut something you post as a even as a teenager or in the past is going to come back and bite you and now you're starting to finally see it and not necessarily things that obviously with the the kid at texas a&m then arizona it was something more recent but you're seeing it now with people digging up tweets uh on a lesser level not even athletics uh i saw one where wasn't there a uh, a player that had, they had someone dug something up. He tweeted when he was a kid, and he had to apologize for it. I mean, legitimately, yeah, when he Locke, was like Drew Lock, yeah, Drew Lock. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I personally think that's unfair. I, I, I think to to dig up something somebody tweeted when they were thirteen or fourteen years old, and then and and then and then confront them with it when they're twenty one or twenty two years old is kind of silly. I I don't know. You know, there's a lot of reasons why fourteen year olds do stuff, and uh, I just because their friends do it or whatever. I, I personally, I, I don't like that, but I know this, if, if, if I had stuff, if I had stuff like that, that I remember putting on there, I'd be going and finding it and, and deleting it as quick as I could. And there are actually companies that, that, um, that will monitor players tweets, uh, for a fee and, and that, that they go out and, and clean up social media for the coaches. Watch out. I know, I know, uh, Auburn, at least, five years ago had hired someone to do that as far as they were monitoring tweets of the current players at that time to alert coaches of any certain things that they were discussing on social networks. And that's one reason why you never really see any Auburn players tweeting anything controversial because they've got a, they've got a system in place that's monitoring that 24 seven and they're letting the coaches know about it almost immediately. If something uh, pops up. Yeah. Almost at the, you, you have to now because you know, if you can't trust them to make good decisions, and some of them you can, some of them you can't, but um, almost all these major colleges have have a monitoring program in place. I mean, and they're paying for it. But I think, Ronnie, as far as coaches are concerned, and I think it applies to coaches, sometimes professional athletes, and or I'm sure politicians and everything else. Some of these guys just they become so big in their own minds, they think they can do whatever they want to, and uh, uh, whether. Tiger Woods or whoever, uh, they believe they can do whatever they want to do. And, and, uh, and especially these head coaches who are now a few of them all powerful. Uh, I mean, I laugh every time somebody refers to Gene Smith as urban Myers boss. Uh, uh <laughs> but, uh, they think they do whatever they want to, whatever the decision they make is the right one. Cause they made it. And, uh, uh, and that's unfortunate. Power needs to be kept in check. We we all know that, and uh, as a democracy, we know that. And obviously with football, it's not politics or anything like that. But I do think that that's somewhat, not necessarily the responsibility of the media, but the media being shut out so much has kind of caused these coaches yep. to a certain extent to feel like they are all-powerful, all-knowing, and no one can uh, question them because certainly the media is not around to listen to every little thing that goes on in that office to make them feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say this or do this behind closed doors because it's going to get out or, or do this in practice or not do this in practice. And, of course, we haven't talked about the situation at Maryland uh, here this offseason. So right. I think that a lot of these coaches, that you get, you got you to do checks and balances. And I think part of it, I'm not saying the majority of it, but I think part of it is just the – the lack of media access that all these big time programs have really given these coaches uh, free reign to do almost what they feel like is right in their own eyes. And then also do things that are wrong that they feel like they can get away with because no one's watching them. I agree. 
including getting sex toys delivered to your office somehow. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the the thing that gets again, I'll I'll go back to the same point. I mean, you know, I I don't understand how. I mean, he had to open the package and show them around. So, I mean, he must not be he must not be real intelligent. Um, <laughs> because I think I mean, there's I, numerous signs that that's the case. I mean, I, 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 I'm guessing that you know dildos don't show up in in, in boxes <laughs> with pictures of dildos on them. So you would think it'd come in like a brown a brown box or something. So that means he had to open it up and show it around. Oh man, what can brown do All for right. you? All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I think we should change the subject before we get too deep here. Let's talk some. Let's talk some Auburn football, guys. That's what we're here for. Auburn and Washington top ten matchup, a rare top ten season opener uh, for Auburn, and uh, in Atlanta, third straight trip to Atlanta for Auburn. Of course, there's that storyline, but. Uh, guys, let's just go around the table, and I'll start with you, Philip. What do you think should be the biggest concern for Auburn heading into this matchup with Washington? Well, I think it's uh, you know I I don't think where it's being played. I I, I don't think Auburn is going to be lack confidence because they're playing in Atlanta again. I, I I don't think that's a big issue, but but uh, you know I think it's the same same issues we've known. Uh, how is the offensive line going to play against a very good? Uh, against a very good Washington defense and, uh, and, you know, you got new running backs to go with that. And, uh, are they going to protect the ball? Are they going to do the things you need to do to win? I, I, I don't, you know, I, it's hard to know a lot about Washington. I mean, I've read a lot about them and, and that, and, and like that, but it's them being in, on the West coast. is not something I follow routinely, you know, okay. Can the defense, can the defense deal with Washington, who has a very balanced? They got a great quarterback. They got a great running back. They got a lot of offensive linemen back. Uh, so I, I think those are the two things. I think the Auburn's offensive line has got to play uh, better than than maybe uh, normally would be expected of them in in a, in a season opener with the, when they got a lot of new guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with all that, Philip. I, I think that you know. Um, for me, I mean, Jimmy Lake is, is the new coordinator there. Um, and he's got the, the, the full reins now. He's a really, really impressive young coach, be a head coach soon. Um, you know, I think that they'll do some things. Uh, they'll be really good. They'll do some things to try to uh, confuse Jarrett Stidham. Um, and um, my guess is they'll be su- successful part of the time. But, um, you know, I, I think Auburn actually has an advantage playing in Atlanta versus Washington just just because right. of travel time. Um, you know, I, I know. You know, I went to the West Coast several times this during the off season, and it's I'm exhausted by the time I get back. So, um, you know, I, I actually think Auburn has an advantage there. Oh, I agree. Yeah, and and they'll obviously have a crowd advantage. I, I think that uh, I do think it's a shame the SEC could have could have prevented Auburn from having to play three straight games there they could have they could have stepped in and and gotten auburn to one of the other new year's six bowl games and somebody else to to atlanta but uh they chose they chose not to do that and uh i'm not really sure why but uh but i think i think the three straight trips to atlanta probably bothers the fans more than anybody else well i'll say i'll say personally i think the offensive line and can auburn's running backs pick up the protection you know you're going to have some younger running backs in there cam martin's martin's obviously a veteran 
And then also missing two key receivers. And I know Auburn's got a lot of young, talented receivers, but some of those guys haven't been in this situation, haven't done it before. Will Hastings is fantastic. Eli Stove is very good. Uh, so to me, those are the big, biggest question marks. I don't know about concerns. I mean, you're concerned about everything in the first game of the year in particular. You don't know what you are. You really don't know what you are until at least halfway through the season, let alone what somebody else is or capable of. So I don't know. And, you know, what Phillips made this point throughout the summer often that whatever happens in the first game, we all have to make sure we don't rush to too many conclusions because there's been a lot of good teams that lost in weeks one, two, or three that went on to win national titles. There were other teams that looked terrible, um, or excuse me, that looked great in those weeks and, right. and win seven and five. You just, you really don't know. It's a, it's a good early measuring stick, but it, it's not like, you know, the only measuring stick and won't certainly determine much. But, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out a lot of things. We'll see a lot of things. We'll see who's going to be, you know, is Gus really going to play these young guys? You know, you guys have been writing about it, and, and I've been reading your stories, and, and part of me thinks, uh, I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it. So from a, uh, a, the guy that covers recruiting, I'm curious to see which of the young guys actually get on the field because it does seem like Gus's history is one of uh, where he doesn't really – play a lot of those guys so we'll see does he have to play him does he trust these guys so those are kind of the things that i'm following and intrigued about I well, think, a lot of those uh, guys excuse me brandon go ahead no i was just going to say i think when it comes to the young guys the, the number one thing that pops in my head to show that gus malzahn's following along that path of just going with experience is what he's doing uh at punter right now with going with aiden marshall over aaron sipos who you know has never played a college football game in his life but they're going to go with you know the guy who has shown improvement over, say, the player who maybe's right about where Aiden Marshall is, but has never played in a game uh, before. So that, and then also, I do think they will play the freshman, especially at receiver. But obviously, they're not going to be out on the field, you know, touching the ball five, ten times uh, in this opener. I think they're going to pick and choose their spots and try to get them, you know, isolated on the field so that they don't have any uh, issues with, uh, you know, uh, dropping a pass or something like that or, something, or you know, being in, in tight coverage or something. Try to get them the ball and then let them run and see what they can do. I agree. I, and, and plus, you know, I think several of those young guys are likely to play on defense, which really that's not on Gus. That's, that, that'll be up to, uh, to Kevin Steele. And he has said repeatedly that uh, – there's guys that are going to play, and I, and I, I think that I mean that's I think they will at safety particularly, uh, but uh, and they really like to de- as many defensive line veteran defensive linemen as they got. They they really like the the uh, two young guys, so uh, uh, that'll be interesting. They're going to have to play some of those receivers. Some I mean they, they got you know Ryan Davis and and uh, those the other guys that'll start are. are are really good players, but they can't play every snap. You wouldn't think. Yeah, you so, don't think uh, Darius Slayton and Nate Craig Myers could be out there for every snap. They're gonna have to rotate, right? Exactly. And uh, you know, I, uh, you know, Whitlow was not a true freshman, but he's a retro freshman. I don't think there's any doubt he's gonna play a lot. Now, will you see much of Asa Martin? I would say probably not, uh, because that'd be scared. He's a true freshman, and and you know, you never know what you're gonna get. And uh, he'll probably he'll probably get his chance next week. You know, it's interesting. You, you guys have talked a lot about the offensive line going against this Washington defense, and I think I think obviously Auburn's offensive line would be a concern going into any opener, just because of the, the how they've had to revamp things on the right side, the slow starts over the last two seasons. Though, let's be fair, Auburn's not playing Clemson again 
uh, and their tremendous defensive lines over the last two years. But, um, you know, everything I keep hearing out of the last, about last like four or five days, guys, is that this offensive line's really gelling together. They'll, they'll wait and see till they get on the field, but they feel pretty good actually about what they have. I think the biggest question mark they have right now is at center with right. Caleb Kim. What do you think, Philip? I agree. I think they, I think Jack Driscoll has been a, uh, uh, they obviously thought he he had a chance to play, or they wouldn't have signed him. But I think he's been even better than what they what they anticipated he would be. And uh, 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 and you know we don't know about Caleb Kim. He's 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 a fourth year junior, but he's never really played. And uh, except for in some mop up situations, I mean, he may be really good. He may not be good enough. I don't know. But I think that uh, you know, I think Nick Brahms was uh, being hurt, obviously cost him a chance to compete for that job and he's back now. And so I, you know, I don't see him going into a game saying, okay, we're going to play two centers. I don't think you do that. But, uh, uh, that, but I agree with that's, that's the biggest question mark because they don't have anybody there who's ever played. And that is obviously a very crucial position. You know, I, I think with, with Washington, when you look at them, a lot of people just want to refer to their offense because of Chris Peterson, Jake Browning. And then of course, uh, their incredible running back, Miles Gaskin. Now, I keep hearing this, well, they've played against Pac-12 defenses and everything uh, and, and blah, 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 and then they got blown out by Penn State. But if you watch, I watched, I think I probably watched two and a half or maybe three games total of theirs last season because of some late kickoffs. But they are darn impressive just the way they mix things up. I mean, they can be, they can go spread, they can go power, Um they can go a little bit air raid on you at times if they need to, but they mix things around the pro style. They make, they mix things up quite a bit to keep people off balance. And Jake Browning is not necessarily the best quarterback in the country, but he, he does what he has to do to get the ball in the hands of their big time, uh, big time players. And Chris Peterson is just a, a master at really playing to the strengths of their offense because you know, Browning, for as good as his numbers are, if you look at his technique and the and his fundamentals and things, there's some things that are off there. NFL scouts don't really like him all that much, right? But man, he's putting up some great numbers, and and that a lot of that has to go with the coaching staff and Chris Peterson. I agree. Chris I mean, Peterson deserves a ton of credit for the job he's done out there. He inherited a dumpster fire and done a great job. You know, Brown, he's he's he started for four years and uh uh. Took him to the playoff one year. I say he took him. That's I think sometimes you say the, the like the quarterback did it by himself, but he, he but he was the quarterback starting quarterback on the team that went to the playoff and uh and a good and had a good team last year and uh you know if he, the NFL scouts are gonna like Stidham a lot better than him, but but uh that doesn't mean that Stidham will play better than he does on Saturday. It's uh it's good. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Jarrett Stidham play. I, everything I've heard is that. You know, he seems to think he's a lot better. The coaches seem to think he's a lot better. He's he's obviously has won the team, and uh, I'm I'm curious to I'm curious to see him play Saturday. And he was and he was really good as the season went on last year. But uh, if he's yeah, better, Phillip, then that's a big deal. I, was it interesting to you to hear him say earlier this week that he thinks that the offense is going faster? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that wasn't that a little interesting to you to hear him say that? Yeah, and uh. You know, I think part of it is that he's he's more capable of going faster. Uh, 
now having been in the offense for a whole season and a whole off season. Yeah, you know, you know, both of both both Gus and and Chip like to play fast. Uh, they've kind of seemingly gotten away from that. They they talk about what they want to do it and and they do it do it occasionally, but but the offense Gus ran when he came here just just tempo wise, and now are two are not very similar. Yeah, it's certainly. I mean, the last few seasons, especially, they've kind of just been. They'll slow it down when they want to, and then they'll speed it up quickly once they get a first right. down, or even sometimes they won't do that. It's just there's really no almost seems like no rhyme or reason. It's almost like they're trying to catch the defense off guard by going from slow right. to fast and back and forth. But you wonder if they'll ever go back to just being, you know, that true hurry up, no huddle yeah. tempo that you've always been accustomed and, to seeing. And you know, it seemed to kind of, you know, they didn't they got away from it really in when Gus was the offensive coordinator in 2010, uh, yeah. because they just kind of said, okay, Cam, go take the snap, either hand it off or run it or throw it, whatever you want to do. <laughs> we'll watch. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but they, they never seem to really, really, uh, since, since Gus has been the head coach consistently just gone fast over and over again. It seems like they've always tried to mix it up more. And it seems like, as as time's going on, they 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 really uh to me haven't really looked looked the part of a of a of a high flying up tempo. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna gash your defense kind of offense. Guys, this is funny. I just had to bring this up. Um, uh, I've got people on Twitter right now blowing me up because on Reddit there's a thread apparently going around. Uh, I think it's it's fake news, as they would say, but that that Chris Peterson had it written in his contract to make sure that the roof is closed at at the Chick Fil A kickoff classic, so they didn't have to deal with the humidity. <laughs> Isn't that the silliest thing you've ever heard? Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh man! Did they even know they were playing Auburn when Chris Peterson got the job? Um, I don't know. I, I think so. I think so. Because, I think okay. they scheduled this back in. They announced it in November 2016. So right before they went on their playoff run with Chris Peterson, okay. uh, they they signed the contract. So I guess what's interesting though is <laughs> Auburn's the home team, but they're wearing their uh, white. Yeah, unis. I just now why is that? Do we know why mm-hmm. that is? I maybe Chris Peterson thinks it's a, just a mind game, and you know, close the roof, make them wear their visitor jerseys, even though they're the home team. You know. He's a mastermind, I'm telling you. Humid, no humidity. <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing's silly. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I've never even thought about no humidity thing. I, it's, but I, it's so so. It's, he's he's the one, I guess, that maybe he said if we're going to do this. I want to wear color jerseys. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't I, it may have been Auburn. Who knows? That's weird. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. know. But I think that was maybe I was going to. Wearing white at home all the time. Hey, maybe they will. <laughs> at this story. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll bring their the, those orange jerseys back too. <laughs> oh man! All right, so let's hope not. Oh well, uh, yeah. Well, hey, there's a lot of fans out there for some reason want those to come back. I don't know why, but um. Anyway, so guys, uh, we'll have our predictions and our fearless uh, forecasters, but. After sitting around all summer and looking at all these matchups and listening to the players, talking to people behind the scenes, 
How do you guys kind of see this one shaking out? I'll start with you, Phil. Who can run the ball and who doesn't turn it over? There you go. That's, that's really what I think is the key to the game. And, uh, you know, neither one of them is going to, has a, I mean, I mean, Gaston, uh, Gaskins has been a, obviously been a great back. He's, uh, gained a thousand yards in three straight years, but he's, you know, he's not a, they got to, they got to get him in space. Uh, cause he's not a big guy, at least for Cal Martin, that's a similar situation. So uh, it, it's hard to see either one of them just lining up and saying, all right, get buck your chance trap. We're just going to come right at you, uh, all game long. But, uh, um, I think that's the key to the game. If, if you can run the ball with either one of those quarterbacks, if you can run it, you really give you, you really give yourself a chance, the quarterback, a chance to, uh, to have success throwing the ball if you can't. And of course, turnovers always, I, that's, uh, and that's a big deal. I think in the first game, Ronnie, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think, you know, how, how quickly does Auburn's offensive line gel? And then, um, you know, defensively, the thing that, the thing that always kind of stood out to me was, was Mike Bellotti told me one time, he said, you know, all this, all this stuff about the sec having more speed than the pac 12. It's, it's just a bunch of bull. He said, but the difference in the, in the leagues, uh, is the defensive line. And so, you yeah. know, um, how much better okay, – my question is uh, both offensive lines. How, how quickly does Auburn's gel and is Washington's as good as it looks against Pac-12 competition? Does it look the same way against Auburn? My guess is that it doesn't, but we'll see. You know, one thing I remember, you know, Oregon went into the BCS championship game averaging 50-something points a game. And Auburn's defensive line completely dominated their offensive line. I mean, I mean completely with fairly and, and, uh, and they scored 19 points, uh, you know, different time, different teams and all that. But, uh, but that's where I, from my standpoint, from what people have always told me, you know, when you talk about speed, uh, at wide receiver or at running back or wherever I, I, you know, I think everybody has that, but, but. Defensive lineman that weigh 280, 290, 300 pounds and can run. Not many people got as many of those as the SEC teams do. And Auburn's got a lot of them right now. Yep. Well, I, I, I don't really have much profound to add. I mean, it's really a coin toss. Again, you know, you're going in the first game. You don't really know much about either team. I mean, you think you do. You know about individual pieces, but, you know, no team is the same from year to year. You know, so, you know, you really don't know. Auburn's defensive line looks like it could be great, but you know, lost one key component in Jeff Holland. So we think that potentially they could be better there, but we don't know. Uh, so a couple keys for me, I'm curious, you know, last year Auburn leaned on the run early in the season and developed the passing game throughout the season. This year, I think we're going to see a little bit of an opposite of that leaning on the passing game early, seeing what kind of running game develops. So that's going to be interesting to follow. And then also if Auburn's four man front on defense can get to Browning, and they can drop everybody else. Uh, that that's going to make life a lot easier for Auburn, and they're going to be able to create turnovers, which is something that I think they still wish they could do more of. But if those four guys don't get to Browning, and they have to do different creative things to to make things interesting for him, you're going to see a lot more man coverage, things like that. You may see more open receivers. So those are just a couple of things I'm going to watch. But really, I mean, again, it, there's so many uncertainties going into this. Uh, I, I really don't know. I mean, an absolute coin toss to me. They're both good teams. We know that they both have coaches that have won their share of big games. Uh, they both have fan bases that, that think those two coaches haven't won enough big games. So it's a, it's a really fascinating opening. It kind of reminds me, guys, Philip, you know, growing up in the 80s 
when you saw a lot of these uh, intersectional games, uh, a lot more, I think, than you do now. You know, we were promised with the 12th game that we'd see a lot more of these, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think through the years, what has happened is with these extra games, people are playing more more cakewalks, and you and you you know, used to be able to look at an SEC team schedule, and you'd see one East Tennessee State, and you'd see ten games against pretty good teams, and you don't see that anymore. So I love matchups like this. I'm, I'm I, I can't wait for it. You know, it's uh, it's uh, I think the 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 neutral site games seem to be kind of losing their allure somewhat. I mean, after Auburn plays, I guess. Oregon next season in, in Dallas and North Carolina back in Atlanta in 2020. And they got eight straight years of home and home uh, with California and Penn State and Baylor and UCLA. And I think Alabama's moving in that same direction. So I think maybe you're going to see a little bit more of that. But uh, Auburn historically, and it's not Malzahn, actually. Uh, it's, it's just Malzahn. I mean, it's happened for a long time. has has had some issues in big games and openers. Uh, uh, I mean, they lost they lost to Georgia Tech in the first game of 2005 after after going undefeated, and the 2005 team was really really good, and Georgia Tech wasn't, but all, but they won that game, and uh, and it's it's you know it's been that they lost the only time they were ever ranked number one in the preseason they promptly lost to Miami and the kickoff classic in the Meadowlands. So it's, uh, you know, and you know what happened in 1983 or 84 or, or, or 2005 has nothing at all to do with what happened Saturday, but it's just, uh, it's just interesting that it's, it's, I think it's, uh, uh, first games are just weird sometimes. Yeah. And what in Washington has a similar history as well. season openers, rank season openers. So, and you're going, I, I think it's, it's an interesting, from the standpoint that, you know, both programs, their fans have been wanting that, you know, the, these big wins or whatever. And Auburn's had their fair share, obviously, and and including under Gus Malzahn. I mean, um, they were two and three against top ten teams last season with two wins against number one teams. Um, but I think that if Auburn were to come out of Atlanta by beating a legitimate top ten Washington team, not not only would Auburn continue to be in that playoff discussion even early on being considered a top 10 team, but I think people would start looking at Auburn in a different light throughout the season instead of, you know, uh, Auburn losing an early season game and having to work their way back up like they've had to do uh, pretty much in every season under Gus Malzahn when they've had been yeah. a threat to get to the New Year's Six or whatever. So I think this would be uh, a big win for Auburn and for Gus Malzahn from that standpoint of – just starting things off the right way instead of having to work your way back up until the end of the season. I mean, it's certainly dramatic and it's fun to watch as a fan, I'm sure, when it's going on. But, you know, it's also very stressful. And it would be nice for Auburn to start out fast, get that big win, and then build the team, build the team, build the team to where you're always in the playoff chase throughout the season instead of having to work your way back into it. Right, and I think fans fans always clamor for these kind of games, and then when they start getting there, they start getting scared, and so <laughs> they're either they're 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 hoping to be happy, but they're prepared also to be mad, and uh, they're already getting ready to be be mad. So it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's uh, if I was a coach that played in the SEC, I wouldn't play any of these kind of games. I, wow, I would win four, four non conference games every year. <laughs> I mean, there's no question in my mind. People could, could criticize all they wanted to. 
Well, Auburn Auburn goes in this game dating back to last season. Five of their last six opponents were all ranked in the top ten. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a brutal, brutal schedule dating back to last season and one that really hasn't been matched since, I, I believe, since the end of that 83 season uh, right. when Auburn played four of their last five top ten teams and, and they won those games. Um, but four, four of their last five were top ten teams, so... Maybe consider that too, fans, if you're listening to this. This is a brutal, brutal stretch for Auburn dating back to last season. And um, if they were to pull this one out, I think this would be uh, one of the bigger wins of Gus Malzahn's tenure. And obviously, I think it'd be the biggest win of his tenure against a team that's not named Alabama, in my opinion, including the Georgia win last year. And I got to say, you know, this is a huge game for Washington, too, for multiple reasons. Obviously, it's two top 10 teams, but this is a program that like Auburn is kind of wanting to gain more respect on the national level from a recruiting footprint. Uh, you know, Washington does have to now and then go out of the region to get guys. This is a good game for visibility purposes for the program. And also, you know, if you don't follow Washington, you may not know this is a historically good program. They've had their ups and downs just like an Auburn has, but historically dating back over a hundred years, this is a program that has always been very good uh, more often than not, excuse me, uh, has won big games before, has played in big games before, has won a national title in the modern era. And in fact, the year Brigham Young won the title in 1984, Washington was second and was, uh, a, 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 you know, had a very good chance to play for the national title. Uh, but another team was on probation from the SEC that they couldn't match up. That was a year where the Pac-12, excuse me, Pac-10 then was going to let Washington out of the Rose Bowl and go to the, the, the Sugar Bowl. So there, there have been situations where Washington has been a national contender before, but it's big for them. And, and they're going to go into this game just as confident as Auburn is. And their fans feel the same way. They, they believe that they're an elite type program uh, and they have for, uh, you know, upwards of a century. John, Don James, the great coach there had some ties to the university of Miami down in Florida. Great record there. And Philip, you know, this program has been around for a long time. They won a lot of big games, played in a lot of Rose Bowls, produced a lot of great players. It's a, it really is a marquee matchup. No question. I, I went to a game at, at Washington one time, and I guess the nineteen early 1980s, Alabama, I covered Alabama and Washington as early 80s. I don't remember what year, and it was a very close game. Alabama won in the end, but uh, it's a it's you know it, it's it's an interesting campus and place because it's in the middle of a huge city, but it's very much of a college atmosphere. So it, at least that's the way yeah. it was then. It, it may be completely different now, but that's what no, it was. No, it still, it still is. It had, I was out there not long ago when they've got, you know, the new stadium and new facilities and it's a beautiful campus and, you know, they've got a lot to sell. They ought to be good. And they, and like you said, they, you know, they traditionally they have been. Well, I was going to say, I think historically you could make the argument that they're probably the second best program in the Pac-12. I mean, behind obviously USC. I mean, UCLA's had ups and downs. Stanford's had many, many bad periods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many, many bad periods. And then obviously Arizona and Arizona State were, were not part of the original Pac-10 when it was the Pac-8. They didn't join a, the conference until, I guess, the 70s or or whatnot. But so Washington historically, you know, has been that program behind behind USC. So anyway, uh, sorry about that, Brandon. Yeah, I would say USC, Washington, and UCLA, it, it just his, history-wise in the, in the Pac-12, when it was Pac-10, when it was the Pac-8. I'm so old. I remember that, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but that, I think that would be historically the three, the three big, biggest programs. Well, it's going to be a big matchup. Top 10 
top 10 game, I would say the premier game of week one of college football. All eyes will be on Atlanta as Auburn and Washington face off in a game that could uh, catapult one of those programs uh, to the top in the top five and uh, put them in the catbird seat, so to speak, going down obviously the rest of the season and uh, give them some breathing room as well. I think for Auburn, you know, if they lose the game, it's not the end of the world. Uh, Auburn still has an SEC slate to go through. But sure would be nice to have that win and and, uh, have a little bit more breathing room down the stretch. So we'll find out Saturday, 2.30 p.m. on E, or excuse me, ABC, a rare ABC game for Auburn in this modern era uh, in Atlanta. We'll be there. Check out AuburnUndercover.com for full coverage, of course. And uh, looking forward to seeing uh, Keith in Atlanta in his hometown there. And uh, Philip will be joining us as well in Atlanta. Should be a good time, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Auburn Roundtable. Uh, We'll see you down the road at some point.